Welcome to No Particular Hurry. This was the first podcast I've ever recorded. Me and the site managing editor for Liberty Ballers, Kevin F. Love, hosted it without any chemistry, totally cold. The day the Sixers went down 3 nothing to Boston back in late August. So keep in mind, we were much less excited about the direction of the team and obviously didn't know that they hired Daryl Morey as team president. Our guest is someone you may be familiar with. We wanted to wait until we were closer to the NBA draft because that's what this pod is going to be about. He's one of the busiest and most in-demand voices on draft Twitter for podcasts. Lots of fan bases, especially his favorite team, the Knicks fan base, seeks out his keen eye and scouting analysis. Our guest writes for the amazing website, The Stepian, where some of their writers have gone on to take NBA front office jobs. He's consulted for the Phoenix Suns, and he's currently director of scouting and analytics for the SAC Sports Family Agency. He loves science fiction, and he has seen possibly every Gilmore Girls episode, so we want to welcome Spencer Perlman to the pod today. Just so you know, the Sixers in this draft, thanks to a Mike Muscala three-pointer in garbage time slash crunch time, have the 21st pick in the draft. They also have a couple valuable picks early in the second round, the 34th, the 36th, then they've got the 49th pick and the 58th pick. So we want to talk to Spencer, pick his brain, especially on the earliest picks that the Sixers will have and some of the options that they'll have um, in that range. Without further ado, let's talk to Spence. Spencer, hey welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. How are you? Pretty good. I know that you, uh, you're running around like a chicken with your head cut off right now. You're squeezing in pods, right? Everyone wants to hit you up for draft takes. Yeah, but, you know, this is it's fun for me. I, like, I love talking about basketball and especially the draft, so I'm all in on this. And see, if you wanted, if you wanted to maybe give like, a quick intro of yourself, I, I first discovered you when you were front office eye on Twitter. <laughs> and you were you were much less you centric you were kind of off the grid I, you didn't have a photo i didn't know who this person was but he or she was writing like crazy in-depth things that i was like devouring about like sga and i was like who is this person <laughs> yeah that was that that pretty much like shows my lack of creativity like terrible name but um, <laughs> yeah i'm uh i'm spencer i right for the step in. I worked with the Suns for a few months last year. Um, and I love basketball. I love the draft. Yeah. <laughs> and you're, you're an attorney, right? Uh, long story. Um, I'm currently working consulting, but oh, okay. Yeah. Consulting now. And then like spending every waking hour that you get, uh, watching basketball highlights. Or low uh, highlights, games, <laughs> games, games. Yeah. Uh, is is draft coverage your favorite thing to do? Is like just talking about it, writing about? It, is that your favorite aspect of just following the NBA? Well, as a Nick fan, there's really not much else I have to look forward to. So yes. <laughs> Wait. So you identify as a Knicks fan? Yeah. You know, like I, I grew up watching them. I live in New York, and like as. I think I'm a completely unbiased Nick fan, which I think, I think, that, I think it's actually true. Um, but like, yeah, I'm a Knicks fan. And then of course there are players who I love, like, you know, like Luca Embiid, you know, two of my favorite guys. Um, nice. So I follow those guys too. Now, sounds like I... there's a lot of pain in your voice when you talk about the Knicks. <laughs> what was that? 
Sounds like there's a lot of pain and disappointment in your voice when you talk about the Knicks. Yeah, but I'm hopeful. Like I like yeah. the direction that uh, that Leon's taken, and you know, turning over a new leaf. So we'll see. Cautiously he, he optimistic. He couldn't really contain his um, his feelings when he got the eighth pick. That was, that was amazing, though. <laughs> memorable like, moment. See, I, I don't know if you saw uh, Mark Tatum's face, but the contrast. Tatum is standing there holding Nick's at eight with like this giant <laughs> smile beaming, on his face. Beaming. Yeah, and then like Leon Rose is just like, oh shit. Yeah, like like <laughs> yeah, that was that was hysterical. You know, it's sort of a bomb for us right now because nothing is fun in Sixers land right now. So hearing that the Knicks got a worse pick does feel a tiny bit better than they wanted. Um, that we got this pick on like a Mike Muscala garbage time, crunch time, slash, whatever. It was just like the only good thing right now in Sixers land. Right. So I'm, I'm glad we get to have you on and talk a little draft. It would be much less exciting if we were only talking about second round picks. Honestly, <laughs> I prefer to talk about, well, I don't prefer to talk about second round picks, but like, I love that because the good front offices, they hit their first round picks. Um, you know, like the good teams, they hit their first round picks. Second round picks, they're hit or miss. The bad ones miss on everything, but the great ones, they hit their first round picks and then they hit their second round picks too. And they like find those gems and like, that's the stuff that's cool because everyone knows, you know, well, I guess nobody knows in this year's draft who's going where, but usually, you know, you have the set guys who are going to go lottery and then this, you know, the tier below that. Now it's just like, you have pretty much, you know, an idea on who's going to go in the top 20 and any random order. And then from like 20 to, you know, 45 or so, um, there's just this massive, you know, question mark gap. Exactly. Yeah. And and this year it almost feels even like there's more uncertainty. I don't know, you know, the lack of meeting players combine. um, There's some, I don't know if, if you have thoughts on this, is there more uncertainty this time? Like, for example, I'm looking at the ringer and they've ranked Tyrell Terry ninth overall. And then ESPN has gotten 42nd. And I'm like, what, how could they be this far apart? Yeah. I mean, there's definitely more uncertainty this year, but like, don't, don't get me started with the ringer. And like, I, I like Kyle, uh, Kyle, I like Kevin. I think he does, you know, pretty good work. Um, I think his draft stuff, particularly the Terry stuff is way, way out there. <laughs> um, but you know what? He's, he says he's, you know, he's watched a lot. He's confident in that. So, you know, kudos. I just very strong disagreement there. Got it. Got it. So you have Terry much lower. Yeah. I mean, I would take him in the late first at the earliest. Earliest. All right. So let's get, let's get six or specific, I guess. Let's, Let's start with the twenty-first pick. Are there a couple guys that you feel in that range that you're you're hoping fall? Desmond Bain and uh, Grant Riller. Those would probably be my two guys for. I mean, specifically the Sixers. Yeah. Um, what, what jumps out about those two? So, I mean, I guess with Riller um, specifically, it's the shot creation um, in the half court. His ability to like pretty much hit any take any shot, um, make any shot. And he's, he's thick. Like he will, he's awesome finisher at the rim. Um, a lot of craft with both hands 
And I think having somebody who can run pick and rolls in half court and be a go-to scorer is incredibly important because, I mean, I don't really think the Sixers have someone who can do that consistently from the guard position. What do you think um, of that, you know. Kevin? Would you agree? Uh, yeah, I think that's pretty spot on there. I'm I'm curious between the two of them that you've named, um, who do you think is the better off-ball option? Should they have to, you know, kind of let Ben take over for the time being? Bane. Um, mm. Not even, like, a question in my mind. Um, I mean, like, full disclosure, I'm, I'm working with it's one of my side projects. I'm working with SAC, the agency that repre- represents him. Um, but, like, before I started working with him, I was super high on Bane. I had him in the, like, you know, 19th, like, 22 range. Still have him in that range. Um, I think Bane's the best shooter in the draft. I think he's one of the top team defenders in the draft. I think he's a really, really good playmaker. Um, you, you know, you can't play him as a primary um, creator, like, you know, the sole engine, but attacking off, um, you know, when the defense is swinging and, you know, he obviously runs in just some basic pick and rolls with him as the primary guy in half court from time to time. I think he's perfect. And then like, he'd be my number one target. I think if you guys are looking for a pure shooter or a pure off ball guy with some, he's got a ton of, He's got a ton of range too. I mean, oh, I think yeah. I when I was I was watching some of his highlights. I don't watch a ton of college basketball, but going through his highlights, one thing that stuck out is he will pull up from really anywhere, um, and he doesn't need like a ton of space. It don't seem either. Yeah, he's got like this. Yeah. It looks like this compact shot. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't jump real high. It seems like a lot of it's coming from his upper body more than his lower body, and he he, you know, he'll like throw in a step back. And just, you know, like a foot of space and just splash it. It's pretty impressive where he's willing to pull up from. Yeah, I mean, he's he's built like a bodybuilder. So, like, him using a lot of upper body in a shot, you know, some people, I guess, can be concerned with it. But at the same time, I would have similar concerns over someone who jumps too high when they shoot because fatigue sets more sets in more in the lower body than in the upper body. Um, but for the range, yeah, he can shoot, like, well out to 30 feet. and um, He's... Like he's good. <laughs> he's very, very good. How is Bain on the defensive end? Uh, so yeah, he's um he's a very good team defender. Um, really knows how to rotate, just kind of like everywhere on the court. Um, plays with high energy. There was one play against Texas that is completely ingrained in my head. Um, I think Texas was trapping. Uh, it was like a trapping press. And he ended up guarding four guys on one possession, going from one side of the court to the complete opposite side to make that final contest and ended up being a missed shot. Um, very high energy, like just very, very smart defender. And in terms of like tools, his wingspan is, I mean, it's bad. Um, no way around that. It's like six, four and a half, I think, which, I mean, he's six, six. That's, that's very bad. Um, but in the same, same vein, his standing reach um, it's actually, I think it's half an inch above for a shooting guard. Um, and like someone who I know he's watching a lot of film of is Marcus Smart. And when yeah. you want, when you want someone who can switch on to bigs, you're less concerned about wingspan, more concerned about standing reach. And his reach, I think is it's either one-to-one with smarts or maybe like there's a half an inch difference either way. Um, but it, like his reach is it's solid. It's not great. It's not bad. It's just kind of like solid. And um, he's someone who I think will definitely be switchable. Like obviously you don't want him to defar- 
to defar to defend Jokic or you know whoever it is for extended period of time. But if you can get you know those X switches, scramble switches that Boston does, if you need to put him on an island in the post for a couple of seconds before help comes or before a switch comes, he's one hundred percent able to do that. So he's. Do you think he sort of projects as like a guards two through fours type of guy? Um, full time, I think it's more of like a two three. Um, I, I 100% comfortable switching him onto some fours, 100% comfortable switching him onto, I guess, some of the uh, ones also. Um, I just wouldn't really want to be in like a full switch system where then you're left out on an island because, like, though he's built like, like, wow, like he's just incredibly strong. Yeah, like a tank. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm more comfortable, I guess, switching down than up for most players. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Like if they're switchable. And as an older player, would you feel reasonably comfortable that he could get spot minutes in the Sixers rotation, like next year's playoffs next yeah. to Ben Simmons? Yep. In fact, he and Xavier Tillman are my two guys who I think will be impact players from day one. Oh, wow. Like I think I th- maybe not full-time starters, but I think they should be, you know, two of the first guys off the bench. Um, I think especially in the playoffs, I think Dez's potential switchability, the shooting, um, the secondary playmaking, I think that's that that's exactly what you want. Any uh, any overall comps for him? Um, I think uh, Derek White. Um, oh, I like that, that, that. That's someone who I've, you know, like I've texted with him before and a couple of the names we've both thrown out. Like I've thrown out Brogdon, Derek White, and he said that he's watching a lot of film on Harris and Marcus smart, which are also two guys you can kind of see cause he's got the movement shooting and he's got the defensive IQ and the potential switchability. Um, so some sort of like weird combination, I guess, of all those guys. Um, so like, I don't think he's going to be a star. I think he's going to be a very high level role player and specifically for the Sixers. So like that's a perfect fit. That's exactly what you guys need, at least from an outsider's perspective. Yeah, I think one of the things that I like about the idea of him, at least, is I, I don't know what's going to happen this offseason. I know free agency and maybe they can't do much in free agency, but if there's going to be some big trades where they look to improve the backcourt, um, they might look to really address the guard spot. So having a wing that you could plug in like you just described, does like you'll always need that, and every team kind of needs one of those. Yeah, exactly. Getting uh, before we move on, I just wanted to go back to real or why uh, you, you brought him up. Um, how do you? Could you talk a little bit more about him and, and kind of? It seems like I, I maybe seen him in the back end of drafts at some points. Do you think he's somebody they could consider with a second round pick? I know you mentioned it at twenty one, but do you think he could fall later? Yeah, he could fall. Um, I think he tore his ACL his freshman year and. Like I, I don't know 100% about his off-court stuff. Um, I've heard something that it's not him. It's adjacent, I guess you could say. Um, mm-hmm. Nothing concerning, nothing like, you know, Emmett Williams level or something like that. Um, yeah, I mean, like the, as I said before, you know, the weird thing with the draft is that you can slot in 30 guys who could potentially go in 20 picks. And... Um, he's definitely one of them. I'm sure there are concerns that he played at a non 
high-level school. And when he did play against big competition, he didn't perform particularly well. But in the same you know, sentence, you also have to point out that his team was simply not good outside of him. So when he was playing against the bigger competition, they focused solely on him. He'd be almost like 24 when he started. Yep, that too. <laughs> but you know what? I mean, Obi Toppin's a 22 and a half year old sophomore, and he's potentially going lottery. So, true. Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> All right. What about uh, what about Kier Lewis? Um, I personally don't think he's going to be there at 20. Um, I heard back in March that his range was eight to 20, and I think that range has kind of gotten smaller towards like eight to maybe 16 or so. Um, he, he's another guy though. Like if he's, if he's at there, if he's there at 16 and the Philly can trade up a little bit, he's another guy that'd be an awesome fit. Cause he and Ben pushing the pace and transition. That'd be fun. Then him running pick and rolls with anybody would be fun. And he also has that ability to play on ball and off ball. So, you know, when Simmons is on the bench, he's on ball when he's, um, when he's on the court, then Kira's off ball. We've been um, looking for that description for quite some time. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think um, Kira has the size to really succeed at the NBA level? I mean, I think he's like 6'3", 165, but he also looks like a bit longer than he's listed. Um, what, what do you make of that? So I was told his wingspan is actually 6'8 now, and that the six six and a half wingspan from a year and a half ago or so two years never it was it's it's off um i was told he was measured at p3 and p3 had him at six foot eight um now the weight apparently he's also up to about 180 i'd be shocked if he got any heavier than like 190 max um so he's definitely not someone you're switching like that i can say with 100 percent certainty or you know however close to that as you can get um but like, he's, he's a good point of attack defender um He's pretty smart off ball. He's not some major defensive playmaker, but I think maybe part of that was also because he was defending on ball all the time. And I think it might've also had to do with Alabama scheme. Um, but no, rookie younger point guards are always going to take longer to develop on the defensive end. And depending on, you know, what the frame is that Sixers are looking to uh, contend, it might, not maybe make the most sense, but in terms of fit, just looking at it from that lens, I think it makes a lot of sense. I wanted to uh, ask about uh, one thing I noticed with Kira was that um, at least in the footage I saw, he seemed to kind of do everything he could to not finish left-handed, which is a major problem with Tobias Harris that just is infuriating the Sixers fans. Is that something I'm just picking out of the highlights I'm seeing, or is that something you've noticed? No, I mean, he's definitely a much better finisher with his right hand. Um, he, he didn't avoid his left hand the same way Killian avoids his right or the same way Halliburton avoids the left, although Halliburton avoids the paint altogether. Um, you know, like he's, I think most players his age tend to prefer their strong hand, but the fact that like he did still have some left-handed finishes this year, I think that bodes well. And also like he's a really good left-handed passer too. So I find it hard to believe that someone who can pass with his left won't be able to learn how to finish with his left. Yeah, watching him watching him go to the right on the left side so often made me think of like 
maybe a, a slightly slower Tony Parker or Rondo or even like SGA, some SGA sort of snaky finishes. Yeah, my comparison, right hand. my comparison, like, I mean, generally, I guess, has kind of been like a souped up Darren Collison, mm. Um, mm. which, I mean, Collison is a starter pretty much his entire career, and though he wasn't a high level one, <laughs> um, he was still somebody who'd count on night in, night out. And I think, I think Lewis's um, potential is definitely much greater because I think he's simply faster off that plant and go. Um, but yeah, I mean, the craft, as you said, you know, some of the stuff is similar to SGA and um, Parker. I, I think Parker maybe got the ball up a little bit quicker. Um, you know, well, he, he was such a blur. Yeah. So like it would look like he'd release when his feet were still on the floor. Um, I just meant going back to the right, but yeah, I like yeah. that. Darren. I wrote a, I wrote an article around the t- 2019 trade deadline saying, you know, I don't know if the Pacers have any interest in getting Darren Collison back. Maybe the Sixers could get him for cheap because he would have fit right in as a on off ball, you know, plays defense, shoots threes, a tiny bit of playmaking. Um, that could definitely help this team They're They're just starved for someone like that. Yeah. Yeah. That would have been a good fit. And it wouldn't shock you at all to see Kira go in the lottery? No. In fact, I mean, like, he'd be probably my number one target for the Knicks in terms of, like, oh, realist. Wow. Yeah. Like, if he's there at eight and if Killian's gone, which I think he will be, I think Detroit takes him. If Lamelo's gone, which... I saw you tweet, bring him home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As far as I'm concerned, home is where the heart is. So right. if he wants to be in New York, he's home in New York. And so... Like I'm looking at the board, it looks like Minnesota is at 17. They got the number one pick. You know they've got Gerson Rosas with the the Houston mentality. Is that a team that might look to trade back and add a few picks if Philadelphia bundled 21, 34, 36 to get up to 17? If there was a guy that you were drooling over, yeah. Um, I could definitely see that. I don't know if it would actually take all three picks, though. I think no, no. Let's it, just assume it wouldn't. But yeah, just um, in case. Yeah, I could see. I could definitely see Minnesota trading down. What about Orlando at fifteen? Is that too far? Um, honestly, like it can happen. I guess maybe it would depend with them who's on the board. Um. Neesmith, maybe. Like that—that's who you guys are trade up for. No, I'm a, I'm asking or, you. Like, is there a guy that we that we should be excited about? Oh, um, I mean, I think I think Maxi. I think if he's somehow there in the late teens, if you could trade up to get him, I think he's another awesome fit. Mm-hmm. But like, if you're trying to trade up for Neesmith, I wouldn't do it. I would take Bane because I think Bane's simply a better player. Interesting. Um, I'm looking at the, uh, again, the ringer and ESPN's board and they've got, they've got Neesmith much higher 14th for the ringer, 11th overall for ESPN. Whereas Bain is 22nd for the ringer and 41st for ESPN. Why is ESPN so low on Bain? Honestly, I have no idea, but ESPN. Yeah. I mean, it's probably the age, probably the wingspan. Um, but that didn't work out for Brandon Clark's assessment it's the same type of player (laughs) like i was i had clark number two on my board last year like he was in that second tier is at the top of that second tier um i'm i'm very comfortable saying that bane is that same type of 
come in day one player and he will probably go a lot lower than he should have. And in three years from now, when everyone's talking about how he fell, um, they're going to just point to the age and you know, wingspan. And they're going to say it was a huge mistake that he fell, you know, 10 spots below Neesmith or, um, you know, X amount of spots below another guy. So basically we brought you on. You're somehow affiliated with Bane and the Sixers have to get Bane. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, I, I really just think he's a great fit. Like, you can ask anyone who's who's watched a lot of his games. I know Jackson Frank loves him, too. He has him, like, 16th on his board. It's even higher than me, and he's not affiliated with SAC. You said your board um, is similar to Jackson's. Is that right? Yep. Um, definitely some differences. I had Denny higher than he does. Uh, he has, I think we both have Poku, actually, in the top five. Um, but it's similar. Uh, we, you had mentioned, uh, Neesmith or Dave did, um, I wanted to talk about him a little bit cause he seems like a guy who does a lot of off ball movement to get looks from deep. Um, one thing I was interested in him was he shot 33, about like 33, 34% his freshman season on five and a half threes. And he did it over pretty much a much larger sample, almost like double what he did this previous season. This previous season though, he shot 52% on eight threes a game. Um, was there a difference or do you lean towards one number more than the other? Um, do you think it was just his freshman season getting acclimated or was there a major change in his game? Um, I think, I mean, this is what, wasn't the Stackhouse's first year as Vanderbilt's coach? I feel like I should know this because I went there. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, it was. Um, I really so maybe a system it. change kind of thing? Yeah, like they used him a lot more off movement this year. And like Stackhouse ran some awesome plays for him, whether it was, you know, where like he had like a circle. I don't know exactly what you'd call it, but he'd like he'd fake down, he'd run basically a circle around the guy, and then he'd pop back up. He had like elevator stuff that they ran him for or ran, ran for him. Um, I really think. Yeah, they love to, they love to like run him through the lane out to the three point line. Yeah. Um, it, it was, it was. I think it was definitely a systems change. I think it was him being a year older and just kind of focusing more on the movement shooting. Um, like, I don't think he's as good as the 52% or whatever he shot this year. I don't think he's as bad as the 30. Is anyone? <laughs> Steph. <laughs> oh yeah. Fair. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean like, don't get me wrong. He's, he's an awesome movement shooter. I just think he offers very little elsewhere. Um, and that's concerning. That's yeah. That's kind of the takeaway I got from him. He doesn't. He's had some. He had some pretty looked like explosive dunks, but he just doesn't really look like an explosive athlete. Yeah, his finishing. Like if you give him a lane, he'll he'll finish. If there's, you know, congested lane, chances are he's not going to be able to. Um, and I don't think he's someone who can really pass on the move either because he hasn't shown it. Like maybe that was partially due to his role. Um, but his passing, it's like I wouldn't count on that as being a legit skill for him. How about a couple of these guys who are sort of projected to go later, like um, Flynn or Isaiah Joe? Yep. Um, so Flynn, I think, is one of the highest impact players in the draft. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, he's, he's someone, he's another guy who I think is going to end up being drafted lower than he should have. And then. In a few years, it's going to be the same story as probably with Bain, where he ends up being one of the top, you know, 10, 12 picks in the draft in terms of overall impact. Why would um, teams overlook Flynn so much? 
he's not that big. He's six three. Um, I don't think he's particularly long either. Um, maybe one eighty five. He's not an explosive athlete. Um, he's. I mean, he's a retro junior, so in my book, he's a senior. Um, you know, he, he's not young, but the reason why he's such a high impact player is because a the shooting. He's a fantastic shooter. He's got really deep range. Um, beyond that, his like IQ is super high, just kind of like everywhere on both sides of the court. Um, Steal percentage is really good. Yeah, and then my, my favorite thing, which is something that like I love, if, you, if you're small, you can't be weak, and you can't you can't be weak and lack physicality. Mm-hmm. He can get stronger, yes, but his physicality is like it's exactly what you want from somebody who 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 is smaller. Um, like he will bang with guys who are eight inches taller, 40, 50 pounds heavier, because he just has that mindset. And there have been a few plays that. I've seen this here where he sees like he's playing on the weak side. Um, a big will be coming down to crash the paint and he just goes over to him and he bodies him on the box out. Big gets pushed back. Malachi gets the rebound. Like that's, that's IQ that you don't, that you, I mean, you can teach. It doesn't, that's like an innate, just quick thinking um, that most guys don't have that he does. And then that physicality, that willingness to put your body on the line just to get a rebound. It's, it's special. If if Bain and Riller were gone at twenty one, would you take Flynn there, or would you hope that you could snag him at thirty four or thirty six? Uh, I mean, I would take him just to be safe. Um, you, you really don't know who's going to go where, and like you know, if if, if you take him at thirty four, or if you take him at twenty one, that also means that somebody who could have gone at twenty one, twenty two, twenty three, whatever, that guy will then potentially fall to 34 so the whole draft board could get shifted yeah um so, so I mean, you're ex- you're expecting all kinds of unpredictable outcomes on draft night i think it's going to be funky <laughs> do you think there's gonna be a lot of trades yep um it wouldn't surprise me at all if we had like i mean i guess it would surprise me just because i don't think it's happened before but if we had like six trades just from the lottery teams or five trades in the lottery team um i wouldn't be like oh wow i'd be like okay i mean makes sense and what about this guy, Isaiah Joe? Yep. Joe's another guy who I actually think is a better shooter than, um, than Neesmith. Um, he's got the volume. He played this year actually with a fractured wrist. Nobody knows that. I guess NBA teams know that. And anybody who listens to this podcast will know that. But I've been told that he played this year with a slight fracture in his wrist. Now, whether or not that's true, I don't know. I don't have access to the medical stuff, but this person is decently close um, to Isaiah. Um, so hey, Kevin, we're already breaking news. Our first ever podcast. We have no chemistry. <laughs> um, <laughs> there you go. That's why I got to listen. But yeah, I mean, he needs to improve as a movement shooter. Um, but he's another guy. He, he can create space for himself off the bounce, sidestep, step backs. Um, he can ISO a little bit. He's just not attacking the paint. Um, he's not a very high level passer, but I think his defense, I think it's fine. Um, he has to gain weight. He's he's skinny. Um, he's like 180 pounds, and he's six five or six six, whatever he is. Um, but in terms of being in the right spot, like tagging the rolls, playing the pin, all that stuff, he, he's got that on point. And I think you know team defense matters more than ISO defense and man to man defense. So like yeah, I would take him. 
A lot of our, just because we're based out of Philadelphia, obviously, a lot of our readers are also Villanova fans. I'm curious, um, not even necessarily as a Sixers prospect, but what do you think about Sadiq Bey? Yeah. Um, ooh. <laughs> I'm, I'm not, I mean, I love Villanova guys. Like, Mikael Bridges was, he was like the apple of my eye. I loved him. Um, Jalen Brunson. Don't say that. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, hurts, that hurts. <laughs> Forgot uh, you guys drafted them and traded them, um, but yeah, I mean, I love love Villanova. Um, Sadiq, I'm like, I'm I'm lukewarm on on him. Um, he's a very good shooter. He's a good scorer. He's strong. You know, he plays pretty physically. I think I'm just kind of concerned. Like, who is he defending? Um, like, I don't really think he can defend threes. I guess he probably have a better shot defending fours, but you don't really want him defending some of the bigger fours because he'll just be too small for that. Um, in some ways, he reminds me of a less quick twitch version, um, a more perimeter-oriented version, potentially, of a TJ Warren, just kind of like a bench score, um, a 3-4 bench score. But, I mean, yeah, like, so yeah. what you're saying is Sadiq Bey is going to drop 50 on the Sixers in a couple years. <laughs> I was just going to say. say Probably. <laughs> Sometimes Sorry. people mock uh, Nico Mannion to the Sixers. Do you have a feel- any feelings on him? He's another guy who I think would fit in really nicely. And I think his, his year at Arizona, um, you know, it's, like I had him in the lottery to begin the season, and now he's in that 20 20- to like 30, whatever, five range. Um, he's, I, I'd probably take him above Tyrell Terry to go back to the, um, to the Kevin O'Connor having him at eight. Um, <laughs> you know, he's a, he's a really, really good passer. Like one of the top passers in the draft. He's not Lamella level, but he's a very good passer. And mm. him playing at Arizona had him pretty much exclusively on ball. So he wasn't able to showcase the movement shooting that much, except for I think they had like one baseline out of bounds play that they ran a few times for him, and then you know, a few random occurrences throughout the season. But I mean, going back to you know potential fits, I think he fit perfectly in offense the same way Akira would um, on ball when Ben's on off off the court, and then when Ben's on the court, but off ball a little bit more. Um, and then defense, he's very quick. Um, he beats guys to spots. He's he plays pretty physically too. Um, he's pretty weak, I think, but uh, similar to Malachi, he plays above his listed weight, uh, and he's pretty smart. Um, so, I mean, Nico in Philly, I think that's another another great fit. Do you have any concerns about the shot? I know he was thirty two point seven percent from three. No, I don't. Just because the priors and like AAU and high school. He's always been a good shooter. Uh, the floater, the touch is great. Um, I, I I don't think the form is that great. He has like a weird hunch. Um, it's less pronounced, I think, maybe than it was last year. But there's like a slight V-ish, you know, like a horizontal V sometimes in, in his shot. And I think if you could fix that, I think the percentages go up. But um, like he's not a 33% shooter. I don't care what he shot this year. That's just, that's not what he is. He's probably closer to like 37 or so. Any comps for him? Um, I 
think I had one like a couple weeks ago, but it's escaping me entirely. What, what so are there? Good. No, go ahead, Kev. Are there any uh, international prospects that caught your eye this draft? Pokusevsky. Uh, he's he's going to be good. Um, you know, if Philly can package their late, or not their late, their second round picks and like a future second round picker, Zaire, like, I don't know, I would trade <gasps> Zaire and. Sorry, oh. <laughs> so you're in like in my both picks. I would trade. I would try to get Poku. Um, What's his game like? Imagine Davis Bertans with better passing, slightly less movement shooting. Like he's he's seven feet. I think seven feet flat um, without sneakers, <clears throat> but he moves like Joe Harris. He moves like Kyle Korver. Like they ran him. Olympiacos, like the lower division, which before like people who are listening to the podcast think, oh, lower division. It's the same exact league Giannis played in, and Poku had better stats. Just throwing it out there. He's not going to be better than Giannis, but something to think about. We were um, He's a, a great header. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not that. He's a, <laughs> he's a seven-footer, right? Yep. And so no concern with the spacing there. He's going to hang out behind the arc. Yeah, none at all. And then if you chase him off the court, if you chase him off the court, if you chase him off the three point line, he's making passes everywhere. Like he is, if his absolute peak, um, like I mean, if he hits on everything, he's going to be one of the top players in basketball. If he hits on seventy five percent outcome, if you could get like like a, a medium outcome would be a better defensive, better passing, slightly worse shooting, Davis Bertans. And I think people are kind of underselling that his floor is actually higher than people think. Um, I love his game. I would take him at eight, but I know the next one. So, yeah, that's not going to happen. What about uh, Denny? Um, yeah, I, I also really love Denny. Denny's in my second tier right now. Um, it's just him, Poku, and Killing, actually. Um, oh, I have an all-international second tier. When is your um, report coming out? That's a good question. <laughs> I don't, like, Wait, I, I got to hear this all-international second tier real quick. Yeah, it's it's Killian, Denny, and Poku. Um, okay, gotcha. But yeah, I, I don't know when the big board's coming out. I'm still working on it, and I have you know a lot of things going on right now. But um, like people generally haven't really bought Denny's shot because he's a 55 percent free throw shooter over his career, or whatever it is, and obviously that's not good. But I'm a big believer in if the form is good and if the touch is good, he's going to shoot. And he's shot 33% from three, which isn't great. But when you watch the games, you see he's the bailout option pretty much for Maccabi. So with six seconds left, the ball is coming to him, which is, I mean, cool. He's getting some ISO reps and whatnot, but it puts him in a really precarious situation because he's not really creating for himself that much. But there was a stat that I pulled back in February or March is like shots outside of that final six, seven seconds. He was at 40% on catch and shoot threes on like a hundred something attempts. So catch and shoot threes. I think he'll definitely be able to do it. I think the free throw percentages go up. I think that's more of a mental thing than anything. I know he's an incredible hard worker just based on who I've spoken with. And then on top of that, he's a legitimately good half court passer. Like if you put him on Utah, and if you get him in that swinging offense where the defense is moving and then he's attacking on side pick and roll the same way Joe Ingles does, he will fit in perfectly. Um, and then super smart defender also. 
All right, uh, Dave. I don't know. Do you have any more questions? I think I'm a, I'm gonna max it out here, but I don't know, Dave. Do you have anything left? Yeah, I got I got one. Um, I feel like I feel like one thing that's really eluded the Sixers over the last couple of years is realizing that when Joel Embiid sits, it would be nice to have a cheap pick and pop big option. Um, so I was wondering if you if you had any thoughts on that. Like they, you know, they've plugged in Boban, they've plugged in Greg Monroe. And then they went the other way and just like almost burned a max on Horford, who's a pick and pop big. But mm-hmm. what about a guy like Killian Tilly? Do you think that he could play some of that role if uh, if they, you know, somehow moved on from Horford at any point? Yeah, um, I I really do. Like his footwork is unbelievable. His touch is also like unbelievable. He's a very good passer, um, but just like having him as a pick and pop big and you could probably run the offense through him a little bit. If he stays healthy, awesome. Um, if, if you just want him to play 20 minutes game, 18 minutes a game, um, however, you know, for 65 plus games, you're probably going to have to give him rest because he's been, I think injured every single year going back to like high school. Which yeah, that's a major bad. thing, huh? Yeah. For um, ankle knee. It's, it's been bad. Jackson actually wrote, something about all the injuries, I think a little while back. So he's but, basically destined for Philly, isn't he? <laughs> I mean, look, <laughs> you, how many, like Ben Simmons has been healthy pretty much since the ACL injury. Um, the foot, been, the foot, right. The foot, um, Embiid, he's been knock on wood. Cause he's, you know, one of my favorite players, but he's been pretty healthy. Yep. Um, aside from, you know, the concussion and I think some, general back soreness or knee soreness, whatever the orbital, the orbital and the knee tendonitis. Yeah. But I mean, you honestly, you could play Tilly right next to Embiid and that's an awesome fit also. And he doesn't space the court from the corners. He can shoot from the corners, but his thing is like above the break. And he shot like 42% over the last two years above the break on 180, maybe attempts, 140 attempts. I don't know. Uh, I forgot what it was on top of my head, but he's, he like, that's where you get the space from. And, he makes them from NBA range uh, above the break. So where would you I, take like, him? It depends how much you trust your medical team, I guess. What um, if, but if not at all, <laughs> then I wouldn't take him at all. Um, <laughs> like, I think I saw you tweet, like the team has to be hundred percent confident. They could manage his load basically. Yeah. Yeah. Like uh, if, if you're confident in that, then I would take him as high. I mean, if you're confident he'll stay healthy, he's a lotto pick in terms of talent. Um, if you're Poor confident he can stay... Jonte had yeah. that. Yep. Um, same type of thing. Um, if you're confident that you can get, you know, two-thirds to three-quarters of the season during the regular season out of him and then the playoffs, take him at 21. If you're a little bit more concerned, then, you know, it gets to the 30s and 40s, but... I love his game. I think it's such a shame that he's just always hurt because he's incredibly skilled. Unlike I think both I want a little too. more built-in safety there. So I might look into the early second round. Yep, that works. I mean, if he's there, he should be there just because of all the injury concerns that I'm sure you know teams are weighing. Um, but if he's there at 35 and if you guys can get you know a Flynn, a Nico, um, a, a Bane, whatever with that first pick, like if you guys can come away with Bane... Tilly, and then if Flynn falls to like the early second rounder, um, if Nico does, or like one of those point guards, that's like an A plus draft in my book. 
we could be losing guys like Burks and Robinson. So I think the one angle is to try to you get as many really cheap guys as you can. And that would be second mm-hmm. rounders. But the but you just never really feel like they're going to use all their picks. They might sell some. If they came away with just two players while bundling to move up, uh, I would be thrilled with that, really. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think if this if there's any year to actually buy second round picks um i think this would kind of be it especially if you can get them in like the early 30s which i mean you probably can't just straight up buying but you know a 40s pick if a team's selling i think i think first that team is stupid i think the team that ends up with that pick is smart because you can get pretty solid talent i think some you know up to the middle of the second round back into of the second round yeah we got 49 I imagine that they want to sell it, but yeah, I would think so. I would keep it. <laughs> um, just like put him in the G League Hands for a with. year. Yeah, they have. They've done pretty well with that, Shake Milton. Yep. Yep. All right. <clears throat> All right. Thank you, Spencer, for hopping on with us. I, I, I think. I mean, for me, I don't know about Dave, but uh, I, I think that's all the questions I had. Yeah, I think I'm good. I guess I'm curious. What are you going to tell all these Knicks fans who they should draft? Hira or uh, Poku. or Poku. Like, I was thinking about this before. I think there is a wild scenario where LaMelo is actually available at six and the Knicks can trade up or he can somehow fall to eight. So, What, what gets him to six? What do they have to pony in? Uh, probably just a second round pick. Because wow. I think if Atlanta's trading from six to eight, they're probably targeting Vassell or Halliburton, and both of those guys should be there at eight. So the eighth and the thirty-eighth get you the sixth. Possible. Maybe you have to give like a future second that's conditional, but I I don't think it would take much to move up two spots. Huh. All right. Thanks so much, man. Appreciate you coming on. I know you're busy, and now you're doing like a hundred pods today. Yeah. Thank you, Spencer. <laughs> Thanks, guys, for having me. Yep. The one glimmer of hope we have is this draft. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to my life. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Take care. I see. Take care, guys.